Take your copy of God's Word and open it to 1 John chapter 4. I'll be uh, leading us into a text there. What we have before us this morning is the Lord's table or communion. It is a sacrament that was instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ for our benefit. And also, we've been instructed to continually practice this until we once again feast with Him in the kingdom. Now, I find it fascinating, the idea of the Lord's table. Think about this for just a moment. Believers all over the globe... It potentially could even be. Dr. Young, I believe, was preaching about 12 hours ago, Sunday morning in India, in a church. It could have been that Dr. Young, our own pastor, was with other believers on the other side of the planet observing this sacrament. And you even take it a step further. For 2,000 years, God's people have been observing this table. I think that's an amazing thing to think about. Now, I want to take a quick little side note. Uh, since it's Communion Sunday, I wanted to, to mention something to you. Here at Grace of Anne, we believe it is the parents' uh, responsibility of children to decide when your children are ready to participate in the Lord's Supper. But we don't just want to dump that on you and not try and equip you and help you. So in Amazing Graceland, there is a small little pamphlet titled, A Family's Guide to the Lord's Supper so that you can think through and then lead your children when it's appropriate for them. I thought I'd taken the last copy, but I was informed in between services there are more copies back there, so make that available to you. Now, this sacrament, these elements on this table before us, what they really are is a sign pointing to a reality. They're a sign pointing to a biblical reality. The elements on the table are not the reality themselves, but they are a sign that points to a reality. Well, the question is, what exactly is this reality that this bread and this cup are pointing to? What I want to do this morning is allow God's Word to inform us as to exactly what is the reality that these elements are pointing to. I want to allow God to teach us and train us how we ought to understand and reflect and meditate upon these elements before us. So, 1 John chapter 4, let me read verse 10 for us. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, it may be uh, that for us to fully understand this text, I need to do a little work to make sure you've got a concept in your mind. This concept, this biblical concept is this. God is holy. Now, we sang earlier, holy, holy, holy is God. And certainly, uh, I think very common in our minds, when we hear of God being holy, we immediately think, and this is correct, that God is morally perfect. And that is, that is absolutely true, and that is certainly something that we need to understand from the 
concept of God's holiness, but it's not the full picture. Um, I really believe that one of the key things that we need to understand about God being holy is that He is set apart. He is unique. He is in a class of His own. I stumbled upon an illustration that really helped me. Let me share this with you. I want you to think about our solar system. All right, there's many objects in our solar system. There's planets, there's moons, there's asteroids. There's the sun. The sun is unique to all other objects in our, in our universe. And as a matter of fact, all the other objects in the universe find their center on the sun. They orbit the sun. The sun is the only fireball object in the universe, and its heat and light uh, are necessary for life throughout the solar system. But there's another interesting thing about the sun. If an object gets too close to the sun, it's burned up. The sun is necessary for life, but the sun is also dangerous. Now, in a a very similar way, God is holy. God is unique. There is nothing else in the universe that is in the same class as God. He and He alone is creator. He and He alone is holy, holy, holy. And God, um, if, if... something gets, if sin gets too close to God, it is destroyed. Sin cannot be in the presence of God. Let me add one other thought to this illustration. None of us would ever say, boy, the sun certainly is being mean when an object gets too close and is burned up. Nor should we ever accuse God of being mean when sin is destroyed in His presence. The sun is merely acting according to its uh, uh, design and nature. God's nature is holy. Sin cannot be in the presence of God. And so God is not being mean. He is acting according to His holy nature when there is wrath from God against sin. We have sinned. We have earned the wrath of God. And yet now I direct us back to 1 John 4.10. It's very clear John is articulating this idea. God's love sends His Son Jesus to be our propitiation. Three words I want to try and help us understand so that as we take these elements, we can reflect properly upon them. I want to talk about propitiation, I want to talk about Son, and I want to talk about love. Now again, back to the text, we read... To be the propitiation for our sins. Some of your translations may say an atoning sacrifice. I hope you're not reading a a translation that puts the word expiation there. Uh, Atoning sacrifice is okay. Expiation, no. Propitiation is the best English word to uh, understand what's being conveyed here. 
So the question becomes exactly what is propitiation. I don't know about you, but that is not a word that I use regularly in everyday conversation. I'll go so far as to say I've never had someone use that word with me in everyday conversation. The only places that I have come across this word is when I'm reading God's word and when I'm reading uh, commentaries or theologians writing about God's word. So the word is unfamiliar to us, I suspect, but the concept is not. The concept is very familiar to us. Propitiation simply means that which appeases a God. Now let me try and illustrate that for us. I want you to think about a tribe in some jungle area somewhere living near a volcano. And uh, the tribe is there and the volcano begins to uh, send out some smoke and maybe there's an earthquake or something occurs. And the tribe interprets these physical manifestations and they go, oh no, the volcano God is angry with us. So the tribe will get some animals or maybe some gold or maybe fruit or, God forbid, maybe a human being. And the tribe will take whatever it is and they will throw it into the mouth of the volcano, anticipating and hoping that their gift appeases the volcano god's anger. That is, they expect what they're offering to be a propitiation. Now, you and I, actually, we don't even have to go to a tribe. We can understand this concept. Um, I know this has probably never happened for anybody in the room, but a husband might upset his wife. And that husband may decide that I'm going to bring flowers home and offer them to my wife. The husband is anticipating that flowers are an appropriate propitiation for his wife. We may also even anticipate and utilize this concept of propitiation in our own spiritual lives. It would go something like this. I recognize that I have sinned. And then I think in my mind, oh no, I've sinned. God is angry with me. I must do something good to appease God's wrath. I know, I'll go to church Sunday. Uh, I will, in my own ability, in my own manner, I will provide a propitiation. Well, let me, let me quickly tell you that that will not work. Let me read for you in Romans chapter 3. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is absolutely nothing that we can bring, nothing that we can do that can be a propitiation to appease the wrath of God against our sin. We have offended God and deserve His just wrath. We need something to be a propitiation for our sins. Well, that brings us to the next word. Again, look back at 1 John 4.10. He sent His 
Son. God sent Jesus into a world saturated and ruined by sin. God sent his beloved son into a war zone. God sent his one and only son into the den of his enemies. God sent his son into the world to be the propitiation for our sins. Listen to what God describes about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." What we are unable to provide, propitiation for our sins, God provided through His Son, Jesus Christ. Why? Why would God do that for His enemies? Well, that leads us to the third word. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's love is the motivation behind salvation. God's love is the motivation behind these elements which are a sign pointing to the reality of Christ. Think in the New Testament in Luke 15. Think about the prodigal son story. The father is the center, the hero of the story. The son has squandered everything. He's sinned against his father. He's run off. He's, he's finally concluded, I got nothing. I'll go back to my dad and be a servant. And the text says this, And he, the son, arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. God loves us. These elements declare God's love for us this morning. John Stott summarizes the concept of propitiation with this phrase. God himself gave himself to save us from himself. God himself gave himself to save us from himself. Father, we recognize that your great love is the motivation behind everything that we have. You have sent your Son, Father, to be the propitiation for our sins. Father, we in ourselves have no hope of appeasing the just wrath that you have against our sin. And yet, we come before you knowing that we have access to you because you have saved us in Christ. Father, build us up, equip us with this reality as we take the sacrament this morning. 
Thank you, Father, for Jesus, and it's in His name that we pray. Amen.